Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. All right, let's get on to the real show. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater more. And today, we've got a special guest. It is his third time around, taking his crowd as the most guested person on the show, Brent Black. Hello, hello, here I am. I am so becrowned, kiss the rings. Hello. Hi, it's how's the king it going, of Musicals with Cheese. He's the cheese king. <laughs> <laughs> I am the fromage royale. Hello, welcome. Mayor welcome McCheese me. himself. so how have you guys been it's been a while since all three of us were talking andrew you want to go first (laughs) well i i've uh (laughs) if you want me to go first i absolutely will i've been doing fantastic uh i've watched la la land about six or seven times it's just such a great movie i really loved it so uh brent what have you been up to um, I have been writing a musical that's a Star Trek parody uh, and working on a video game soundtrack for a game with cats that resemble potatoes, and it's called Pertato, and I'm not kidding. That's what I'm That's I've a bad doing. pun. That is a terrible pun. It's a very cute game. Actually, it's called a Pertato Tail, but then Tail is T A I L. I okay. like it, but I'm a cheesy I'm a cheesy I think mofo. The double pun makes up for it, I think, though. Oh, okay. You have two. Two bad puns is like one good pun. I'm bringing the cheese to this musicals with cheese. I am. I got a cheese plate of puns. Someone's got to do it. Speaking of musicals and speaking of cheese, what musical are we covering today, guys? I believe that's Matilda the Musical. Just because you find that life's not fair, it doesn't mean that you just have to grin and bear it. If you always take it on the chin and wear it, nothing will change. Matilda the Musical is a stage musical based on the 1988 children's novel of the same name by Roald Dahl. 
It was adapted by Dennis Kelly with music and lyrics by Tim Minchin. The musical's narrative centers on Matilda, a precocious five-year-old girl with the gift of telekinesis, who loves reading, overcomes obstacles caused by her family and school, and helps her teacher to reclaim her life. After a 12-week trial run staged at the Royal Shakespeare Company at Stratford uh, Stratford upon Avon from November 2010 to January 2011, it received its West End premiere on the November 24th. 2011 at the Cambridge Theater and its Broadway premiere on April 11, 2013 at the Schubert Theater. So, what do we all think of a Matilda the musical? Uh, I think it's I think it's very good. I think it's not perfect, um, but you know it's. I mean, the last one I was the last episode I was on as listeners, I'm sure some of them know. I was La La Land, which I really hated. This one. I won't give it a cheese rating yet, but like I generally think it's. Um, it's great. It's heartwarming. Um, it's funny when it needs to be. Um, it has some things that irk me, but sometimes they're not the writing. They're the the production that we watched um, that we'll get into later. But generally, I like, I like most of it. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? I want to say that I've actually never read the book or watched the movie for Matilda. This is the first thing of Matilda I've ever seen. Uh, and I liked it a lot, actually. I thought uh, it was very funny. Uh, there was a lot of like uh, witty moments and just over-the-top goofy moments. And the villain is just something else. Just amazing. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Whereas I think I'm like right in between you guys. Like I grew up with the source material. It was one of the first books I read as a child as well. Um, I loved the movie as a kid because I sought it out forever because I was a real big Paul Rubens fan. So I was like, he's in it for five seconds. I'm watching this movie now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so this had like, a real like nostalgic feeling for me so when i watched the musical it like reminded me oh my nostalgia's wrong this is so much better because this is much more what Roald Dahl had intended with that original book oh you think so like i'm like andrew in this i haven't seen the movie uh though i have been in the same room as mara wilson and been ignored uh for an hour um nice person we didn't talk <laughs> um but i have not seen the movie were you guys like the only two people in the room? Like, no. Here's the thing. We, we look. Here's the thing. We have mutuals, and you know, sometimes when you don't know somebody and you don't want to like, you don't want to barge into a conversation with them, so you let them lead. And by doing that at a long table of people at a restaurant, maybe you just never address them. I, I shouldn't have used the word ignore. She's a lovely person. We just didn't. They sat right next you know. to each other and didn't speak a single time. It was really awkward. Nobody Honestly, else was well, she, was, she was diagonal for me, but everybody that I knew there was on the other side. <laughs> was on my left. She was on my right. So, whatever. <laughs> she seemed nice, but yeah, it was it was right there. Could have smelled her face. It was very, very nearby, but um, the point is I didn't see the movie. I didn't read the book, so this is my first real exposure to, although I did watch some clips of the movie after to compare Trunchbulls. I was going to watch the movie, and then I decided not to. Um, I find the um, movie very interesting because it is directed by Danny DeVito, narrated by Danny DeVito, and he plays the like, abusive dad. So you've got, How like, have the I abusive... not seen this movie? Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> it is... Very interesting to have him being very abusive and then narrating like Matilda didn't know how to like deal with the books. I was gonna say, did he narrate with the same vocal performance style as the dad character? Does he have a different vocal performance? Like I think he only has one, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. There's no Shakespearean Danny DeVito. 
though I would pay to see it. I disagree. He is very Falstaff. Oh, what light through yonder window breaks. <laughs> I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> I would watch, like, do you remember the Broadway production of Macbeth where Alan Cumming played every role? I want that with Danny DeVito. Oh, my gosh. All DeVito wall to wall. So yes. I've recently, I recently watched <laughs> Twins for the first time, and I feel like that's a little Shakespearean. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, it's based on Two Gentlemen of Verona. If you look <laughs> at Act 5, the soliloquy about the tiny brother of the tall Austrian man. Um. <laughs> so, want to just dive into, like, the generalities of Matilda and all that. Like, Brent, let's just talk about what you don't like about it. Yeah, so, like, I think that... Um, it's a very – I'm sure it's an impressive adaptation. I'm sure it's an efficient adaptation. It's like a 232-page book. And I I know that they've cut certain things, but a lot of things they kept. Um, for me, I feel like often with Broadway shows, you have a situation where you want a really good actor in a certain role. But in order to get a really good actor, you've got to give them like two songs. Usually that's, in my experience, the standard is like for a supporting role, if they don't have two songs, it's less attractive. And so there are some songs that I feel like they are unnecessary to the story. They're just like sometimes charm songs. I I, I don't know if I actually dislike the character of Mrs. Wormwood or if I just really wish that this per, per performer in the Broadway bootleg we watched. You know, I also heard her on – I've listened to both albums – um, I think that the original Mrs. Wormwood in the West End, well, it, it, they did it in the UK, and it's a UK story, um, so it just felt more natural, whereas the uh, actress playing Mrs. Wormwood on Broadway just, I think the director saw the song loud that she sings and went, okay, you're going to be loud throughout the show, but there's this like there's this lack of effortlessness and lack of charm that makes her so often grating in a way that I feel like, you know, villains... They can be abusive and you want to see them be mean so you can sympathize with Matilda. But if someone's grating, then you don't get a chance to, like, love to hate them. You just kind of at certain points hate them. And, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of, of Mrs. Wormwood, at least in this production. Um, I'm but trying to have... think of other things. Oops, sorry. Go on. But you sorry. have seen it no, live, like, before. Like, how did it compare did, like, yeah. to the touring I, I... production you saw? I saw... The Philadelphia, the recent Philadelphia touring production. And, you know, the thing is, there are typically stratas of quality that you can expect. Typically, your Broadway quality is going to be one notch above your national tour quality. And then other perhaps non-union tours after that might you might just like not have your expectations as high as like, you know, Friday night at a Broadway show. It was fine. Um, but I wasn't really judging it the way that I would a Broadway show. And in that case, to answer your question, I feel like the song Loud, it's fine. It might be necessary for pacing. It's funny. The dancing's fun. But it feels like some producer went, there needs to be a dance number that's not the kids. And Mrs. Wormwood needs another song so we can get a good performer. But, like, I don't love it. It's fine. It's catchy. But, I, you know, also... Um, there's certain moments like Quiet, which is a song Matilda sings in the second act that it's fine, but it's unnecessary to the story. Like 
We didn't need to dramatize that moment in Matilda's emotions. She could have just knocked over the the cup, though it's nice. It's just unnecessary. Um, And uh, I'm just trying to think of – I've got other things in the little document we use throughout. Um, Brent, are you ready to to go up against me now? Because I'm going to defend both of those moments. Sure. Now, why don't I? Yeah, I'll, I'll save some other criticisms for later. Otherwise, I'll talk your whole ear off during this part. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pass the torch to you now. All right. So um, I've gone on the record saying that the best thing about any musical theater is the fact that you're able to get that introspection, that you're able to get into a novel, but in song form. And I feel like that moment for Matilda and this moment for Miss Wormwood is both like I am songs like this is my statement on life. And this is what I believe in to show both like to antithesize what is currently going on, both with the Miss Trentswell and the Miss Honey situations. The thing with Miss Wormwood's song loud is it just happens to be fun as well. And I agree with you. It is a fine line to walk down to be like both charming and obnoxious. It's the same line that like the Tenardiers and Les Miserables have to walk. Um, and quiet, um, very much like you don't need that song, but it is effective and showing like she now has control of this instead of just being like the raise a Mary Sue thing that you get in from a lot of Star Wars fans. You have that moment of introspection where, yes, this is why I can do this because I am like suddenly in this new world of mine. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I think for me, it's. It's got a saggier second act than I think it needs, and maybe because my headspace is so in this mode right now of trying to get my own show down to not just two hours, but like two hours with laughs, which is a trap, because if the show is funny, then lots of laughing happens, and then it's way too long. Um, And if it's not funny, then it's not funny. But like, I feel like the second act of Matilda has a little bit of fat on it, and so when I look at that moment, I go like, well... Is it necessary? That being said, it does dramatize the transformation. It's just like if they were going to cut it for the Vegas, you know, 90-minute Vegas version, that'll never happen. But, you know, when they do that kind of stuff, they'd probably cut or shorten it. I'm not sure because that is the moment. That's what they used to market it. That's the marketing it's a short song. show to begin with. Like the whole show is, is only like uh, two hours. Two hours on the dock. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm of two minds about it because it's also a kid's show. Like, two hours is, I think, about as long as you want to go um, with a show for kids. I'm not saying it's long. I am saying it, the pacing in the second act feels like they're cramming so much into it. And a lot of times with adaptations, you cut stuff out. Like, they cut out the parrot that was in the chimney, I guess, from the book. Um, felt like it wasn't necessary. Like, even when I read it, I was like, oh, that doesn't feel needed. <laughs> Right, right. And I mean, like, I look at it and go, there's just something about all the stuff they have to achieve in Act 2 that whether or not quiet is necessary. And it it may be the kind of thing where they tried to cut it and went, oh, this is really not dramatized now. We really don't know what's going on. Um, But for me, there's just an example of how I think some characters have songs because it's fun and it gives the other actors a break or because it gives that actor more to do. But like... That for the narrative, I think if they had to, they could cut and it wouldn't actually affect the storytelling very much. But the thing, like, you can cut the to be or to not to be soliloquy from Hamlet, but would you want to? <laughs> like, that doesn't teach. That's a really long anything. show. I'd be fine with that. That show is way too fucking long already. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, take it out. Agreed, but that <laughs> is the iconic one, and it is probably the most referenced one. 
probably because it is the most introspective one. It is plot-wise useless, but character-wise um, completely very essential. And I think the same thing is very true with Quiet. I think the thing is, you're just, you like that song a lot, and I don't like it very much. I think that's what I'm getting. That's a sense that I'm, I'm getting from sure. this. As far as what your point, Jess, I'm not sure Matilda the musical needs to have insane introspection. It'd probably be okay without it. It is for children. I'm defending that that is a very singable <laughs> moment that needs to be there. That is an essential you know what? singable it might... moment. It may well be the fact that, like, I, in my own writing, don't do enough of that stuff. Usually it's it's often characters in my stuff talking to other characters rather than us getting inside the hearts and brains, which may be a shortcoming of my work. But for me, it's like I sat there going. And, and to be fair, I didn't feel that way when I saw it live. I felt more that way watching this video. So maybe it's a function of I know what's going to happen and I'm just like, OK, come on. I, I know. Oh, quiet. Great. You know, <laughs> but um, and I will give you this. It is a long song that doesn't need to be that long. Yeah, it's flabby. Like the, a lot of stuff in the second act just feels like, hey, this is important stuff. But like sand it down a little bit. That's all. Mm-hmm. All right. Andrew, what problems, yeah. if any, do you have with the show? I don't think I have any problems that I can really <laughs> think of. Honestly, I think it's a good length and. I don't know. You're the one that nitpicked falsettos to fucking death. (laughs) I didn't nitpick that. I had some fundamental issues with it, which this one does not have. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I I feel like it was a good length, and I think I liked pretty much everything in it. Maybe the part where she meets with the librarian or something and tells her stories. I didn't really get that part. But I might have just missed what was supposed to be happening. Yeah, here. honestly, from this video we watched, I feel like it was not as clear as seeing it live. Because for me, when I finally realized, spoiler alert, that the stories that she's been telling are actually psychically the story of Mrs. Honey's parents. It was like, oh, this is why we've been randomly going to this side character over and over. Because it's really oh. not clear till pretty late in the show. But it's hard to tell from that video. That, that we watched. Yeah, I don't was think I even ever caught on to that. Honestly, I thought it was just like, a, oh, she's like, she likes books and she's good at telling stories, I guess. <laughs> right. And it helps in that way. I think it helps keep the attention until then. But I think that the visuals of the trapeze artist and all these things are much more poignant live. And I mean, you know, not to get too meta and pull back the curtain, but I feel like it's a challenge, I'm sure, for for you guys doing this show that you can't always just get out to a live performance of these musicals. So you got to do what you, you can do. But yeah, I, don't live I in a think very that good area for that. <laughs> well, and I mean, like. Having lived in New York City, Philly's, like, fine for it, but it, even then, like, if you're not in New York, London, or, like, I don't know, Tokyo, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, Detroit is pretty good. It's, like, the third highest theater city, like, in the country, apparently, done by some rating list me. that I've never know, never heard of before. That sounds trustworthy. I mean, big, big cities do have... Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, some list. Yeah, no, I've heard of some list. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> But, I, I mean, where else can I see Phantom, um, the play that goes wrong, Percy Jackson, the musical, Waitress, and Hamilton in, like, a three-month period? That's fair. Uh, I gotta say, the play that goes wrong is the hardest I've ever laughed at a piece of theater ever. I'm so into that vaudevillian slapstick banana peel Marx Brothers stuff. <laughs> it was great. 
I just saw it last Thursday, and I had a like a double date old people couple in front of me and they're like i hated that i was like i didn't laugh once do you want to leave we're gonna leave an intermission like i we're, and they just left an intermission well and that's a tour for you i don't know if it was i'll tell you this and i promise this is all i'll say for whatever reason that the second act was way not way less good than the first when i saw it in new york but who knows tours are weird because they they're they're pulling it all out of a box to do it over and over in different spaces. It doesn't always work, but can I, can I say my like two cents about tours too? Cause I'm going to defend them. All right. So I've seen both Broadway tours and a few London. I think that touring productions give their all because they're more wanting to impress. You think? Yes, I do. Forgive <sighs> me. I, I just, it, in my experience, like, okay. The producers came out in 2001, and I think I saw, like, the third tour in 2005 or six. And the Max Bialystok was just somebody's friend. I swear to God, he was just... Or, like, you know, the understudy, the swing, and the lead all died, and they were like, hey, you, you've you got the right body shape for these costumes. Like, he was not good, and he was the lead. So maybe that's just my experience of, like, having lived in New York where really, really talented people are a dime a dozen, they're all hungry, to see... A touring production, it must vary, because I think in many cases you're absolutely right. Sometimes stock, it's like those are the people trying harder to get noticed. But I've seen some bad touring shows, that's all I'm saying. Or I might just be blessed, because Detroit is almost always a very early on spot in the touring production history. Ah, uh, that'll do it, because once the show gets rickety and they're bored, you know, it can start kind of falling apart. Um, now, I do have other criticisms, but is it? I'm guessing it's cool to like organically embed those later as we talk that's about what the songs that's and what, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Great. But story-wise, like, let's just talk about Tim Minchin as a songwriter before like okay. Matilda and all that. Have you heard of any of his previous work, either of you? I've yes. never heard of this guy before, to be honest. I, I know his work well. I do too. And this is one of those musicals that are very rare where every song you can just see the composer singing it at you. Yeah. Like these are all He's very got a real flavor. mentioned songs. Yes, for better and for occasionally worse. Um yeah, I I'm with you there. Um so where do you think it's most effective in the songwriting? I mean, okay. So obviously uh lyrics and music he does both, but I still consider them to be very different. And sometimes a winning song can have a shit lyric. And occasionally a boring tune can actually be really fun because of the, the lyrics. But that being said, uh, he's good at making stuff catchy. Uh, as I'll say soon, I think um, I think Miracle is one of the best opening numbers of the last 20 or 30 years. It's just really good at doing what it needs to do. Um, and f- as far as the writing, the thing about Minchin that bugs me, he's very clever as a lyricist, but he's also sometimes a lazy lyricist, in my opinion. For instance, in the song Naughty, he rhymes stupidity with happily. I could maybe get on board with like stupidity and happily, but the way it's set, it doesn't really rhyme. Um, and... I was not sure where to do this in the show, but because I'm Mr. Up My Own Ass with rules about how musical theater works, I thought I would take a minute to share the the standards of rhyming that I teach kids in my summer arts program, even though I Andrew, don't buckle up. them. And of buckle course, those seatbelts. Ready? Here goes. <laughs> Let's okay. go. Number one, 
Generally, perfect rhymes are preferable. Pope with dope, classic Jurassic, rigidity, stupidity, not happily stupidity, and so on. Number two, uh, I try not to do what's called an identity unless I absolutely have to. An identity is when you rhyme two homonyms like the number one with the past tense of win, which is one. Um, they'll oc occupy different parts of the audience's brain, but it'll still be a homonym, so it is not as satisfying of a rhyme. Uh, number three, not quite perfect rhymes are generally okay for like a real strong punchline, or if the character singing it is sort of being silly on purpose. Uh, like if they're being funny, cheering up the other character, making the other character laugh with like a stretched rhyme or something, that can be organic, but sometimes it just feels lazy. Uh, number four. Hip-hop near rhymes, which Tim Minchin does here and there, are only A material if they're in an impressive run, like you find in Hamilton, like Lafayette solo in Guns and Ships. Um, number five, I feel the same way about bad scansion, which is sometimes called prosody. Um, like, you don't say banana. You say banana. If you, if you sing banana, it's like, what the what are you talking about? And, like, Tim Minchin does... Some of that, where he'll like in Groundhog Day, he he says effing like instead of fucking, but he goes effing, and it's like that's not. It's harder for the audience to understand what you're saying because that's not rhythmically how we speak it. Um, Can you remind and if, me what song me, that's in? I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just trying. That's to... okay. That's in the song Nobody Cares, um, which is like the big country western yeehaw truck chase song. Gotcha. Thank you. That was it. I just no problem. forgot. I was listening to it just today, actually. Um, so if if Bad Scan is part of an impressive or clever run of rhymes, it can be a, a material, but at the end of a couplet, I think it just sounds lazy. And again, an exception is if the character is doing it on purpose to kind of be funny or silly. Um, six singular words with their plural, like, or rather with a plural, like root and boots, are not ideal, but like not that bad. And seven, rhyming an N with an M isn't ideal, but like not a deal breaker. And finally, uh, the type of rhymes that you use for a character should reflect the intelligence and style of that character. Like you could expect a really smart character to have more complicated and clever rhymes, but if you have a dumb or naive character, the only reason to have their rhymes be clever or complicated is if the song is clearly the author speaking through them, like the song Stuck in Tim Minchin's other big musical Groundhog Day, where clearly Tim Minchin is doing his atheist skeptic shtick by commenting on all the people who use woo-woo stuff and claiming it's medicine or a cure for something. And so these characters that he's saying are dumb, he's also using complicated uh, and smart rhymes through them because it's really him commenting on them. And those are my rules for rhyme. Um, Thank yes, you. that was Thanks, wonderful. Us. Thank you. Um, but where does Tim Rice's Why Go Bananas Chasing Nirvanas fit into that? He's British. So <laughs> one of my least favorite things actually of his is um, No Siree in... Aladdin. Like, as a kid, I liked it, but now I'm like, that's just not a thing Aladdin would say. Aladdin's not like Opie from uh, from the Andy Griffith show. He's not like, no siree! <laughs> like, that's such a... He's trying to be... Tim Rice is trying <laughs> to be American because he was taking over for American lyricist Howard Ashman, who had passed away. But, like, it just, you know, Tim Rice's flaws to me, and like in chess sometimes, too. Freddie just sounds like 
a, an Englishman's idea of an American. But he's like, you know, he's not bad. He's a he's a he's a classic lyricist in the in the canon of musical theater, even if he's not perfect, I think. But he, the biggest thing I have with Tim in, or with Tim Rice that Tim Minchin doesn't do is he rhymes, but you it only rhymes if you sing it with an accent. Well, you're you're well. Hmm. I I think if I could stop time and listen to all of Matilda, I might be able to refute that because um, there are some things. You know, this brings me to another point that I'm sure we all noticed, which is the producers and director of the Broadway version of Matilda were worried that. American audiences of tourists couldn't understand English accents. So they had this really weird hybrid where it's like, oh, my O vowels are very British. But then when they had to say rhotic R's, like part, they wouldn't say pot, they'd say part. So it's like, oh, this is my part. And it's like, no, where are you from? (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I think generally you're right. Um, It's hard, you know, it's hard. When you write, because it goes both ways. I wrote a, a lyric for a, a video I did with Dave Bulmer in the UK. It was a, about Zelda, but at one point it was a, a parody of Confrontation from Les Mis. And so I wanted it to be a sound alike to My Race Is Not Yet Run. So it was, its pace is taut yet fun. Well, in America, you can say taut, T A U T, and it kind of rhymes with not. In the UK, it's taut. So it didn't work. He had to bend it to make it taut, which isn't really how he'd uh, pronounce it. So, like, I'm of two minds about it. I think that you're right that Tim Rice does that. But I think that such is the nature of a language with multiple dialects. Fucking English, (laughs) am I right? You are indeed. And the whole time I thought they were Australian. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's talk about positives for a second. Um, Brent. Yes. What do you think are the most positive elements of the show, either in the book or in the songs? I think Trunchbull is absolutely the best achievement of the writing. Um, I, think I know Andrew I keep making it about you. Yeah, I, I know I keep yes making this about me, but I really listened to Trunchbull before I knew I was doing this podcast with y'all. I listened to Trunchbull songs a lot in trying to figure out how the villain in my show, who's Khan from The Wrath of Khan, like. It, from what I understand, Trunchbull's pretty evil and not as funny in the book and the movie. She's just more vile, from what I understand, and scary. But it's more fun to have a villain that you love to hate that is truly menacing, but also can have these little bits that are so funny because this person takes themselves so seriously. And the way that Trunchbull was perform- uh, transformed from this truly scary villain who, I'm, as I understand it, was not as funny, transformed from that into this very nuanced, funny uh, character. I think it's amazing and far and away, more than any other character in the show, just as an invention, it's brilliant. And Bertie Carville, I'm sure, was a huge part of that who originated the role, but just really great. Um, beyond that... Um, I mean, like I said, I, I, I take issue with certain rhymes and certain techniques that Tim mentioned will do in songwriting, but there are beautiful songs. There are songs that are so catchy and, and like uh, harken back to a time when musicals were more concerned with just like having a nice hook that you just whistle out the out the doorway when you go to intermission. He's good at that, but he's also good at songs that really do three things at once. Um, and and 
are memorable at the you know at the same time. So I've got other positives, but those are the ones that come to mind. How now. about you, Andrew? What are you, your net positives about the entirety of Matilda the Musical? I, I just really like how over the top it is. And I think the villain is is like the embodiment of that where as as Brent was saying, you just love to hate them because they're just so like full of themselves and goofy about it. Uh, but I think the uh there was like the father character was similar in that regard where he's like super sleazy. Um really just a lot of the bad guys are great. <laughs> um uh the mother's dance partner as well. <laughs> Rodolfo. <by the> <laughs> I want to talk about how great the staging is. Like, the blue lighting throughout most of it, like, gives it a very, like, notable oh, look. yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, I wanted to mention one more part. The, uh, I like the, the staging, yeah, but, like, there was one song, I forget what song it was, but they were, like, doing, uh, almost, like, magic tricks with the, with the letters, like, the alphabet appearing. That was and a I thought cool that was song, because really cool. that song is uh, so clever, and I wanted to say that. I love that song. Yeah, that song is cool, and I like that a lot, and how they were, like, in the dark, putting the letters in, and then shining a light on them, so it's like, it, they just kind of appear. Yeah, and cool. they replicated that for the production I saw live. In fact, the production I saw live seems to have been basically using all the same, using the skeleton of the original. That being said, and I know we're on positives, but I just needed to get this out, um, a lot of... Gotta go to negatives. Hang on a sec. A lot of... Well, you know me. Come on. A, a lot of... A lot of the choreography I found was this, like, angry robot karate shit, especially during the opener and stuff with the school children that, like, you know, in the opener, there's all this, like, I'm doing stuff with my hands and it's really fast and I'm punching the air. And it's like, no, 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 no. You children are at ease with the fact that you're assholes. Why are you doing these weirdly abrupt movements that look so angry and so urgent? It just feels like weird somewhere between, you know, martial arts, cheerleading. There, there was definitely some weird stuff with yeah. the I remember there was one, one song. It might have been the same song, but like kids come out and they have like their hands on their shoulders to look like a ladder or something. It's like it was like odd. I can't remember what song that was from, but that was I found that was an yeah. Like for too. for for all the cool weird. stuff, like I love the swings in that one song, and it makes you go like, "Wow, how'd they learn to swing in in musical time?" That's amazing. Like for all that stuff, and like the discipline sign at the end of the song, "Smell of Rebellion," which is such a great like simple, like brilliant simplicity kind of thing. There's just some stuff where I just go, "This is a little too angry." Like you know, like even hip hop dancing, which is a lot of that like really fast movement. It's looks it looks fun and a lot of this stuff just had an anger to it that felt not organic to the moments where it was happening. In the original London cast, there was a lot more cynicism to the performances. And I miss that. I miss that a lot. Well, yeah, it feels like they kind of dumbed it. I, this is one thing that I really hate about Broadway is that when it's like if it's an off-off Broadway show or a niche show or like some cabaret at 54 below, you can get some nuance, but Broadway shows, because they have to pack the house day in and day out with tourists where, like, the average uh, middle of the bell curve is a 41-year-old mother from Nebraska. And I'm not kidding. That's, like, you know, what they tell you. Producers will tell you. You kind of have to make it a few notches toward, like, the kind of, you know, when you go to Universal Studios and you watch, like, the Batman stunt show. <laughs> and it's just, like, it's not exactly... Uh, 
you know, Passion by Sondheim. It's a little bit more dumbed down. I feel like the British people are inherently a little more attuned to cleverness, a certain kind of irony um, that American audiences aren't expected to be. And yeah, I think that this production just, frankly, was a bit condescending in that way. But maybe they did that because they got complaints. I don't know. Americans just like things that are loud. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Like a lot. Americans, even even the American accent is just, instead of uh, like emphasizing certain words, you just say words <laughs> louder. I just did it right there. Uh, it's like, if I want to emphasize a word, I just say it louder. Whereas like British people don't do that. They just uh, cut every other word out of the <laughs> sentence and only say the one word. Oi! Like that. <laughs> Apples. Yeah, like but, that. Like slippers. <laughs> one of my favorite parts is the opening with the Doctor and Miracle, because I agree with you. That is one of the best opening numbers in musical theater history. I think that's great. But in the original London productor production, he is very cynical. He's like, you're going to have a baby and like all that, and it's going to be great, and you're going to enjoy it, like, you know, in the very British way. And then in the new version on Broadway, it's like, and it'll be wonderful and happiness and wonder and you'll be great at happiness and i'm like no londoners are never happy now jess i'm really intrigued because the first exposure i had to this show was my buddy dave in the uk who said you've got to listen uh to this matilda show and he he played me miracle and at least in the recording you know when the doctor's like a new life the most beautiful you know like thing that can happen to you was that was I just mishearing the irony because it felt for me pretty genuine in that London cast recording it felt genuine but like sincere whereas the American version feels like happiness and wonder you know like Peter Pan or some shit oh it's a little bit goopy yeah it's a little bit too much like Hallmark Channel and less like you know this is what a fucking kid's about you you dumb bitch which (laughs) is what I got in the original London cast while we're on the subject I have two thoughts number one who the fudge is that dude with the balloon supposed to be at the beginning is that Roald Dahl or (laughs) like I just assumed in the in the original when I listened to the album I just assumed that was the doctor who would be just as good of a person to come on and talk about kids these days but I just don't know who that guy is, and he never comes back. Who are you? He's the birthday clown. <laughs> well, John right. Wayne Gacy. <laughs> it's John Wayne Gacy. You notice you don't see some of those kids ever again? Ah, right. Well, you know, at least he kills the asshole ones. Um, so, okay, that being said, I am obsessed with um, the the nuanced difference between the way that London audiences responded to a fart joke and the way that American audiences respond to a fart joke uh, in the first song. So Mrs. Wormwood doesn't know why she's got this huge belly. And in the the British version, she's like, you know, he goes, you really don't know. And she goes, wind, which in British English means you're you're you've got gas you're bloated and you've got gas over there it really works i think it's because they're a little bit more embarrassed about well everything but it works when it's wind but that's not a thing we say in america so instead she goes gas 
And it just, you can hear it in the video we watched. I experienced it when I saw it live. It just doesn't land the same. And like, it should. Like, rhythmically, it's like a pretty good fart joke. This this lady doesn't realize why her belly has got a watermelon-sized protrusion and she thinks maybe it's maybe it's gas like but it just the word gas isn't funny as a punchline in the same way unless i'm wrong did y'all laugh at that no no there you go i think that she should have just said fart and then everyone would have been like oh. am i full of farts <laughs> am i full of farts <laughs> well, let me talk about like the differences between the American and London cast because there's a lot of Britishisms removed, which I think removes a lot of the charm of the original London cast. And I know we're kind of harping on that, but this is something that bothers me. But like one of my favorite Londoner expressions is not N A U G H T. And she says that in loud. Like, don't doesn't matter if you don't know not, which means if you don't know anything. And she does, she changes it in the American version to, I believe, if you don't know yet, which I'm like, that's, that's not as charming. And there's a lot of other examples of that within the show. And I'm like, really, are, are Americans so dumb that we can't take a little bit of like, yes, it's, that's the thing, Broadway. Broadway. It's the saddest thing that Broadway is where musicals come from, but in order for them to get there, they have to be the kind of script and the kind of performance. I'm not trying to be classist. I'm not trying to be coastal instead of middle American, but there's just a level of theatrical sophistication that you don't find as much in Lincoln, Nebraska, as you do in Brooklyn. And they dumb it down because they want people to understand and enjoy it. And if they don't, it doesn't really matter if the work's good. If people aren't equipped to enjoy it that way, you kind of have to change it for your audience, even though I agree it dilutes it. One thing I thought was interesting is um, in uh, in the song The Smell of Rebellion that Trunchbull sings, in the original cast, she said um, – when something about once once they go to phys ed, they will they shall be too pooped for dreaming. That's the original cast. And in the American Broadway thing we saw and also the one I saw uh, in Philly, it's they shall be too pooped for scheming. And that's a much better lyric because I don't know why she's talking about them dreaming. She's worried about them scheming. But I don't what I'm really curious about and I don't know is was that originally a thing that they were just like trying to Americanize it, or was that Tim mentioned going, "Oh, this is actually actually much better. Let's just let's just change that." Well, a lot of lyricists just change their lyrics as time goes on. Like Phantom of the Opera has undergone like forty-five different lyric changes. Oh my God, that's well. At a certain point, that's just that's just tinkerism. George Lucasism. Exactly. You know, um, Sondheim says a show is never finished, only abandoned, and that's like a cliche in the theater. And of course, sometimes when you ship a show over to another country, you change it, or you just go, you know, we're in the third year. Why don't we tighten up the script? But too much tinkering is exactly – that's exactly right, Andrew. It's like just leave it. Leave it alone. Let people memorize it because if they if you change the lyrics, they're going to be irked by it not sounding like the album when they go see it. How about, how about I defend the other side of that where theater is a living, breathing thing unlike a film where a film is a tangible thing that we all see. Theater can change night to night despite – anything like even sometimes most recent version of company has significant lyric changes from him because 
A, the new lead character is a female, and B, like, there's a couple different gender changes, and you have to change the context of that for that. And I think his new lyrics are, in fact, better because he is now more aged because of that. And I think that's the joy of theater. You can change it without, like, really causing any negative effects to what previously existed. I I think that you're right. It's more just, like, I... So many of the shows I love... I love because I heard the album way before I ever saw the show. Like Rent. I think most of us that were alive in the mid-90s and loved Rent, like probably 10% of the people that loved the album saw the show. Um, And so if you go into the show and the lyrics are largely different, it's like if you're a fan, it's irksome. Even though if you're brand new to it, it's it's a better lyric. So I'm just saying... If at all possible, try to nail it down and make sure it's as good as it can be by the end of previews when you lock it in, you freeze it, and you record the album. It's not always possible, and God knows I'm a tinkerer at this point in development, and like you can always wake up in the night and go, oh, shit, it should have been scheming, not dreaming, but I don't know. I think it's... The aim, it's kind of like video games. Back when you couldn't patch a game by downloading an update, you had to really make sure it was right. And too much updating, after a while, it's like it seems like it was lazy in the beginning. They just didn't feel the need to make it finished and polished. That's all. Or it just feels but too then different you got from things what was like... originally released. That's right. But then you got things like Be More Chill, which has been in existence for a while. It's had a fan base. And now they've made significant changes that have both changed character and intent within the show. And I think that's all for the better. Like, especially with this well, brand new okay. Broadway run. Quick, quick name drop. Uh, I am maybe not friends. At one time, friends. Now just friendly because we've drifted. But with Joe Iconis. And he deserves every bit of this. He's been working his ass off for so long and finally got a break. But um, be more chill. Here's the thing. It's it's going to Broadway because it's popular with a demographic, teen millennials. But it'll they'll love it just the same i guess but if they love it because they've memorized the album and then they go see this revamped production like obviously if it needs rewrites you got to do it before you go to broadway but i think that there's it's just as much irksome for people that got used to one version of it as it is better for an audience that's never seen it it's just a trade off well, I'm going to offer a counterexample. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar. I love that musical with every ounce of my heart. It has some pretty bad lyrics in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's, and what is truth? Is truth in changing laws? Um, we both have truth. Are mine the same as yours? Which does not rhyme in any sense of the world, word unless you're talking with a very thick British accent. And now they've changed it. It's so much better. I'm surprised that I defend uh, rhymes within a dialect in a way that you don't. Because to me, it's like every character has a dialect. And sometimes it's really fun to play with how things rhyme differently with a dialect. But if like if if you're I guess what I'm saying is why would Tim Rice write a rhyme for you (laughs) for an American when he's producing the original over in the UK and he's lived there all his life? You know what I mean? Like, are you saying that he should write a rhyme that 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 both that works in both? Because a lot of rhymes do, but a lot just don't. I'm just saying, like, you have to have a real thick British accent to make laws and yours rhyme. Laws, yours. I mean, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. I know he was very young. He was, like, in his mid-20s when he wrote that. And it, But I appreciate when writers are able to go back and change it to be, like, 
and now in the more recent productions and then the John Legend version, it's like, um, you think it is truth, um, not easy to define. Now, what is truth? Are yours the same as mine? I'm like, that's much better. <laughs> that's all. That's yeah. the main point. And I sure, appreciate sure. that. I, totally. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I think that people are allowed to update their art as long as we still have the previous versions to, like, take in and enjoy. But we don't. <laughs> when you have a stage show and it's not being performed anymore and it's being performed by something else, you don't have the old version anymore. You have the album. Because it's a living, you have the breathing thing. Got... But... Exactly. But the thing is that it being living and breathing also kind of means sometimes if something was different earlier, if it doesn't survive, it's just a trade-off. Like film is forever, which sucks if you make a big mistake. Unless but you're George Lucas. I think, <laughs> <laughs> right. But like it's it's sort of like it's sort of like whether you look at theater as going to see a concert of a song you already like or going to see a brand new story. And I think that if you're going to see a brand new story, it's always better for the lyrics to be tweaked and finished and perfected um, and the music and everything. But if I'm going to go see, you know, some band that I've loved for a long time, if I'm going to go see Green Day and they're going to play, uh, do you have the time, you know, but like the <laughs> rhymes are different because they thought it would be better. I know that's not a one-to-one analogy, but I think sometimes theater goers can be like, wait, what? It's just, I mean, we're, we're really agreeing ultimately. I just think that if you're going to do that, um, know that you're going to take certain people that are already big fans out of it because they're expecting a different thing. Though it may be a much better 
lyric or a much better rhyme. So I think in every new production of every revival of a Broadway show, we should add Jabba the Hutt and make sure that the story is all flushed up <laughs> and make sure Jabba the Hutt has and, his part. <laughs> and way more things flying outside every window. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we just need, there needs to be a, a part for every instrument at all times. The score has to be very dense. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Constantly. Um, so... Um, I'm going to just keep going until we change the subject uh, or change the segment. I I think I know how they did the chalk trick, but I'm honestly not sure. I have a theory. I want to know what you guys think. It's on a string. The chalk is on a string and someone's puppeteering it. That's how they do it. But I know how, how does they it did it in the movie. Right on the chalkboard. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if it's like a projection and in, in not. That's the thing. I think it's either rear projected or it's maybe like an LCD backdrop that is framed yeah. as a chalkboard. But it's live. It is spooky because for whatever reason, the light hits it and the shadow, it looks pretty real live. I feel like it can't be a screen. I think a screen would be too obvious. Yeah, that's the like thing. The, the I mean, stage lights would reflect off of it and stuff like that. I feel like I, I don't think it would work right. You can you can light a thing so that a screen has enough lumens and it's not washed out, but it is difficult. And I bet if we Googled enough, we could figure it out. But I just I just kind of looked at that and went, that is such a great it's it's a it's a moment in the book that you go, well, you could never do that on stage. And, you know, there is, in fact, a 1990 musical of Matilda that seems to be lost to time. Um, and I wonder with the much different technology they had back then, like if they did that moment, how did they do it? Um, we'll probably never know, but it is interesting. Um, according to the film originally, they used a magnet. I'm willing to believe that's kind of close to how they did it. But the thing is like the pressure it requires to write, like a magnet, how would a magnet not write a, a, a constant line? but still move the chalk around. I think rear projection is the most likely, in my opinion. Here's an internet response. I cheated, if you guys care. Just no, I want to know. not cheat? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, the chalkboard isn't even a real chalkboard. It's a sheet of plastic made to look like one. But it's behind a screen with letters and light. And there are people in a space behind it with a few magnets. Because some of the pieces of chalk are fake and have a metal tip, then they just trace along with the magnet while the lights let the letters bleed through. So basically, oh, so they it, follow it with a magnet. It isn't with the chalk, real it's light that's been obstructed mm -hmm. and is now getting to shine. Like, is getting yes. to, to, to penetrate. That's brilliant. I love shit like that. Theater is awesome, isn't it, guys? Yes. Yes. That's just a I'm starting to think trick. it's pretty swell. Mm -hmm. I don't right, think so. so. I'm going to need a little more persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, what is our favorite song from the show? Because I know we all have very different ones, or at least from the general consensus. What is our favorite songs from Matilda the Musical? Um, yeah, Andrew, Andrew, you, you go, go first. first. I like... Um, the the one song what the fuck was it called holy the the smell of rebellion ah it's yeah so good. the smell of rebellion the stench of revolt the reek of rebels and plotting the breath of resistance the pong of dissent the funk of model fiberati everything about it the the way that they stage it the actual song itself is very nice and the character is just 
it's so it's like it's it's cheese uh, on a platter. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, I I think it's it's up in my top three. I think it's the best combination in terms of the staging. It's the best combination of music, lyrics, and movement in the whole show. Um, it's not my favorite song per se, but um, it is very good. And like just the way that they make it. It's storytelling, and she's scary, but also they just throw in some vaudeville shit. Like, yep, and now she's gonna do this insane gymnastics leap, and then <laughs> and then do a thing about Zeke, the, the the carnival freak, and the horses. And it's like this is you're getting a full buffet of theater in this very short space of time. Um, it's very good. That Me was a very impressive leap, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, well, and you know it's required for the, It's required for the role. And I think most yeah. of the time they cast, you know, men 5'11 and up. So it's a big dude who doesn't want to – I mean, I guess nobody wants to land bad, but it's usually like a pretty serious tall guy. Um, that being said, I, Andrew, were you done talking about it? I was going to move on to mine if you're all set. I'm all set. I, I think I've pretty much covered what I wanted to say. Cool. Um, my favorite song is Naughty. I don't I don't adore the staging and like the way that they do the 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 interlude of mixing up the hair tonic and stuff it's like it's fine it's it's got to happen because of the story but to me it breaks up the momentum that being said the tune I find very charming I think the chorus is this really nice like sometimes you can make a a, a, a you can make a song basically a little bit bubblegum like it's got that kind of brady bunch but the melody really has heart and really has a soaring quality without being too goopy and too ballady. And on top of that, the song is doing so much. It's talking about books, which is this whole theme. It's talking about how Matilda has this shitty life, but she's not accepting it. It's talking about consent. It's talking about abuse. It's talking about how you don't have to accept the bullshit that happens to you, even though the world wants you to think you do. It's like the the whole concept of the show, somehow every every important piece of the show's themes and what you're about to see um, is summed up in it in a way that the opener was about all the other asshole kids. This is Matilda's introduction. And it's just so well done and so multifunctional, weaved all together. Uh, and I can't get out of my head. You know, the smell of rebellion's fun, but it's not as catchy in my opinion. So that's why Naughty's my favorite. Okay. I I'm I kind of have a tie for top two favorite songs, and and neither of them are the ones that you pick, so I, that makes me nice. feel good. <laughs> All right, so I really, 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 really love um, the school song. a really clever song lyrically where first like there's three ver- versions of the chorus first time it's just normal second time it's just like oh shit that's like the alphabet like they sing the alphabet like within that like little lyrical like 
what the fuck am I saying? Stanza, basically. And mm-hmm. then third time, it's like, oh, I can finally enjoy this. So it's like a pleasurable experience to listen to it. Every time it comes up on my shuffle, I'm like, oh, I'm in for a ride. <laughs> and the second one is, is I'm here. very clear that this is Miss Honey's um, origin story. How she became a mild-mannered um, teacher. Is that the one where, like, her, her ghost dad has a really sweet moment? Or am I mixing that yes. up? Yes. Yes, that's it. Oh, yeah. That made me... I don't... I, I cry more and more at stuff as, as I get older, but I definitely teared up. Like, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. But, like, it was live. It was a lot. It was, it was really... And it really is just an emotional thing, and I really like the the spoken patter of Matilda reading the story in sync with the dad, like, at the same time. Like, that is really powerful to me, and I don't quite know why that is. <laughs> well, and, you know, what I kept thinking, for better and worse, on that mm-hmm. point is you don't have – in production to this show, you usually have three or four Matildas. Because you just, you know, they don't want to, they, they, they really need to make sure they have multiple understudies because kids are, by their nature, not professionals the way that an adult is. And also, you you know, a kid just can't spend that much time and have a full-time job doing this show. They got to go to school and stuff. But the idea that they have to have that much precision with all the other actors who themselves may be understudies, themselves may be swings. I know they probably do a brush-up rehearsal during the day, but... It's impressive and and sometimes maybe a bit clunky because of this, but it's impressive how in sync a lot of it is considering that. And also the chorus is just kind of catchy. The I'm here like section is like it gets trapped in my head where I'm just kind of like, don't cry. I am here, little girl. And the romanticized like notes in that. And I think that's part of why I kind of like – um quiet a bit is because that's kind of reprised in the opening like the intense like opening time here I think it's like one of the most effective moments um, and it's even more uh, like it's kind of exclamation pointed when Miss Honey sings My House and it's like reprised and it's like oh all this is coming together <laughs> yeah yeah I, I wish I almost wish they could have found a way to make the act break a little bit later so that the second act didn't, for me anyway, feel kind of like so packed full of stuff that it just kind of felt like it, you know, was a little long. But the thing is, for me, my house is this beautiful moment and you're figuring out all this stuff that's really important and like really telling you finally why you've been sitting through all this. But... I, for me, both times that I've seen it, by the time you get there, I'm like, okay, like, or what what do we have left to wrap up before we're done with this? Because this is really starting to, you know. And again, Andrew, you think it's not too long. For whatever reason, I just feel like it starts to sag. But that song is, to me, in the shadow of the ticking clock of, like, what's going to happen next? I can't tell where the, this is going structurally. <laughs> 
guys, sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but I wanted to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. So, this week, probably not that surprisingly, we are recommending Matilda by Roald Dahl. Oh, ho, ho. (laughs) Sorry. Did I shock you there? (laughs) Did I I throw you all off? Kate Winslet would not be the choice that I would have picked, considering that she threw the diamond at the end of the Titanic. She threw it right off the ship. How did she have time to read a book after that? Um, to download your free audiobook oh. today, go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese for your free audiobook. It's free. Come on, do it. Jess, you know the Titanic was a movie, right? That was just all makeup. What? That wasn't a real old lady? That wasn't really Kate Winslet? <laughs> it was just Kate Winslet in makeup. And you know how long it took to get that makeup on? It's been 84 years. Anyway. Um, <laughs> ah, the so. meme. All right, let's get back to the show, guys. Look at your hesitating and shaking. You should be embarrassed. You're not a little girl. It's just pathetic. Knock on the door, Jenny. What are you waiting for? Just knock on the door. Right. One of the stuff I, uh, I'm actually like skimming the dock because I, I think that um, you two have much better. Uh, you're, you're much more used to the rhythm of how the show goes, and like my listening to it on my shower speaker doesn't infuse me with the sense of like what's going to come next to talk about. So my notes in this document are all over the place. But we've gotten to most of it. I did want to say the song "Pathetic." Um, I'm glad to hear that you're listening to us in your shower. I'm very. Happy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mostly hear your voices when I'm nude and wet. Is what I want you to know. So uh, I'm that's... hoping you are right now. To be honest, I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those things um that sucks okay i'm gonna i'm gonna just stop us right there i'm gonna stop i don't right know there. why you'd be wet right now but i can think of a few reasons i am i am putting a bow on that line of thought and uh so what i'm what i'm gonna say is pathetic as a song which is the one where miss honey just can't force herself to knock on the door um so often in classic musicals you have like the i want song or the i am song this song is both without ever saying I want or without ever saying I am. It's brilliant exposition because you know so much about this character from what her current conflict is. Um, and you learn about her relationship with Trunchbull. You learn about her timidity in general and what she has to overcome in this story. Um, it's it's very good. Um, even if it's not like the most catchy or the most entertaining, it's just a really good um, multifunctional piece of musical theater um it's the most sontimian too it feels very much like a pastiche of stephen sondheim yeah it's not it's not so minchinian i'm gonna (laughs) just make up a a word there but um i feel the same way about that the manchinian candidate great movie um the the hammer is another song that i feel like 
Um, Trunchbull, there's a lot to set up there. But just like Matilda sees the world through books, Trunchbull sees the world through the discipline of having to be good enough to to be a hammer throwing champion, which also it's not a shot put. It's a hammer. Like it's all so, so rich with like it's telling you so many things at once. Um, let's see. Uh yeah, When I Grow Up is yet another song where I'm like, this is a good song and it might be there for pacing reasons and it does come back later when Miss Honey reprises it. But I think if you had to cut the show down, you could you could lose it. It's cute. It's catchy. But like, I don't I don't think it's narratively necessary. Um, Brent, let's come see. on. When you start act two, you can't have a narratively necessary song. You have to let people sit the fuck down. Come back from their smoke well, breaks. Masquerade I mean, is not a narratively important song. No, Jess, act we've one already open, gone over that you're two. not supposed to take a break. No breaks during the intermission. <laughs> did you know that? Did you know that most actors haven't peed in eight years um, or or more? They never it, get before to stop. you go to the theater. Open up your musicals with cheese um, uh, theater going <laughs> kit and take your laxatives. Remember, take two, two poops before you get in the theater. <laughs> If you don't, that's your life now. Um, <laughs> so, but name one Act Two opener that is actually plot relevant. An Act Two opener that is plot relevant. Oh, I have the worst, most obscure, and terrible uh, example. But pull it out. That's like the opposite of an example we want. <laughs> well, but the thing is that it, e- even though it's from a shitty show, it actually works in its context. So I've been seeking out every other Star Trek musical, and there's one I don't really want to diss it too much because it's well intentioned, and the author, who knows, the author might <laughs> listen to your show, but it's called Boldly Go. And it's just a very like college y, written by a, a 20 year old uh, show. Um, not that 20 year olds can't write a good show, but it just feels young. And so the second act opener is like a minor key version of the opener where you learn what has changed in between acts because now things are dark and you learn a bunch of stuff. Um, also what about into the woods act two opener? They tell you all kinds of stuff. They're new yeah, wishes. Yeah, but it's literally just a reprise of the first act opener. Like, word you for said, word. You said narratively important. You didn't say not done before in the show. Is it really that narrative? Like, I feel like most things are yeah, you find out the all the new. One. You find out You find out all their new problems. The baker and his wife got a baby. Now they are sorry. Yeah, now they now they're having trouble having a baby. Don't spoil um, it. I'm really excited for that, Andrew, <laughs> to watch that one. <laughs> I can't wait to find out because I have strong opinions, but I will not share them now. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I think a lot of times, I'm I'm dealing with this myself right now. Sometimes you want to open Act Two with just like a we get back in your seats and we're gonna like remind you how fun this is before we get back into the story. And charm songs can sometimes be the most fun, even if they don't contribute but i guess what i'm saying is the song when i grow up to me it's fine and maybe it was a little boring this time because i've heard it and it's just not super visually exciting or super funny it's just kind of pretty and it feels like when you're listening to like one of those podcasts that's actually like an npr show where they just do 60 seconds of music in between segments it's like okay i'll sit through this Mm -hmm. it's pretty i guess all right 
I mean, how does it compare to it was a real nice clam bake from Carousel? <laughs> okay, your in your question is the premise that I think Rodgers and Hammerstein is like the pinnacle of narrative in musical theater. <laughs> like they, they do a lot of like narrative in musical theater. Come on. Okay, sure, but like Citizen Kane is not exactly the summer blockbuster of 2019. Like you know, like what came before <laughs> made what there is now. But like that's. Oh, okay. Real quick, I just have to ask, Jess, are you familiar with the musical of musicals, The Musical? What? Okay, it's a show called The Musical of Musicals, The Musical, and I swear to God, it's not only right up your alley, but I I wonder at what point Andrew would start to really get all the jokes, um, (laughs) because it's such... No, no, it's such a referency show. What they do is they take the basic plot of... Oh, no, I can't pay the rent. Uh, I'll pay the rent. You know, like basic (laughs) uh, musical theater story or rather melodrama story. And they do like 15 to 20 minute musicals of this story in the style of Rodgers and Hammerstein, Sondheim, Jerry Herman, Andrew Lloyd Webber and uh, and Kander and Ebb. And they make all these references to their shows and they do all these different styles. But if you're a real musical theater nerd um, listening out there or uh, Jess, clearly you are. And even Andrew, I'd love to know what you think. It would be interesting to find out. But the album. Very interesting, I'm sure. (laughs) Once you're like 200 musicals in, you'll be like, ah, I got that one joke. But like it's it's uh, if you know the styles really well it's brilliant because it's like all the songs and yet none of them and it's making three jokes at a time like the first song in the Rodgers and Hammerstein one this guy named Big Willie who's really like uh, Curly from Oklahoma he's in a cornfield and the song is called Oh What Beautiful Corn so it's like he's doing that Oh What a Beautiful Morning thing but it's actually saying Rodgers and Hammerstein is this beautiful corn like this beautiful yet corny stuff. Anyway, I don't know why I'm suddenly shilling for this show as if they, you know, as if you're, I'm going to send you to the website and give you like the the checkout code. But I'm just saying before I forget, for those listeners and for Jess who are really into lots of musicals and are, are musical theater buffs, it is um, just a singular experience of validating your fandom. I was just reading through the track list and I felt validated. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Oh, just wait. I mean, it's it's a it's a good listen, and there are actually some songs in it that like they're catchy without exactly ripping off the original. Like they just did a really good job synthesizing the sounds. Um, that being said, Jess, did you want to talk about the adaptation process and some other things related to that for Matilda? Oh, sure. Let's do that before we wrap up. Because as soon as I, like, go past the hour-long process, I'm like, ah, oh, probably should wrap this up soon. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, look, we'll just point out what you wrote down, which is that mm-hmm. Willy Wonka is the only other musical adaptation of Roald Dahl that has ever been turned into a successful show. Um, yes. Um, and I'm wondering why that is. Like, do you feel, like, Willy Wonka successfully Americanized um, 
Roald Dahl's material, which is very, very British. I was just wondering, why do you think it's so hard to adapt um, Roald Dahl's material to, like, musical theater, when really the content says that it should adapt very well? Well, in one case, it's because um, a three-story giant is difficult to put on a stage. Um, <laughs> and Broadway's King Kong has showed that it doesn't lead to a good show. Sorry, King Kong. You suck. Um... But then you got James and the that, Giant Peach by Pat Pasek and Paul. I mean, honestly, I think that a good James and the Giant Peach could exist. I think that the movie was Randy Newman, who knows how to write a catchy tune, but his lyrics are weird. Um, he's always <laughs> writing for his voice. And then when you get, like, freaking Daphne from Frasier singing his lyrics, it's like, you've you've got this English grasshopper. And he's saying, I've got you, boy. And it's like, that's such a Randy Newman, like, I got you, boy. Like, that's he, it doesn't work because Randy Newman doesn't know how to write. That's why I can't enjoy Princess of the Frog because I'm just like, I got friends on you to sad. That's yeah no I mean he's got his his style is um is we've talked about I know you want to wrap it up but he wrote a, a he wrote a concept <laughs> album <laughs> um, Randy Newman wrote a concept album in the nineties that you should listen to called Faust that is an adaptation of the Faust myth but Randy Newman plays Satan no I've heard joke. It. it's wonderful. Well, the thing is that there's this song where Satan's like, okay, all you angels, gather around me. I'm going to tell you a story. And it sounds so spooky and so Tim Burton. And it's like, ooh, what's it going to be? And then he comes in with this you got a friend in me shit that's like, you know, can't keep a good man down. It's like, this is just the same old shit, Randy Newman. Randy Newman, you did it again. I mean, yeah. Like, it is the Mad TV sketch where all of his shit sounds the same. Anyway, James and the Giant Peach, if Tim Minchin took it on, it could be really great. But because it's Pasig and Paul, literally the most boring um, composer slash lyricist I've ever heard in my entire life. And that is saying, as a fellow Michigander, um, yeah, um, I feel that musical is not a... They wrote um, La La Land, the lyrics of La La Land. Um, Really, really? Hansen. Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not quite as brain connected as you dear evan hansen was the same team as la la land um lyricists they are brought on to do the lyrics okay that i can accept most of my problems with la la land were directorial and big picture stuff like the lyrics weren't all ass they just you know didn't fit the lyrics weren't all good either they were general and idyllic true I almost feel like we've already done that episode, though, and I, I went yes. way too long on it. So, um, <laughs> I'm, uh, but yeah, I I think I've said all I want to say. I mean, you didn't talk about the superhero story stuff you want to talk about. Oh, that's true. Well, you know, okay. So on this viewing, I started to think, you know, Matilda's kind of a Mary Sue. Like, she's kind of like good at everything, and I don't understand. Her only tragic flaw seems to be like she gets herself in trouble or imperiled because she's being heroic, which is that being said, talk to my girlfriend about it. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, thematically, the idea is that the world doesn't treat children who are doesn't value the things that make Matilda good. Matilda is a symbol of something one should value it kind of like the Shakespearean quote, like in a world full of fools, tis folly to be wise. So ultimately she's a DC comics character. You love her, but she doesn't have a weakness like the Hulk. 
is this the part where I try to pitch to you that this is not actually a Matilda standalone film, but a prequel to Carrie the Musical? Whoa! I think it is that part, sir. I think it is. I mean, is. you've got a single mom as Miss Honey that, like, has this devoted, like, love to her daughter. A girl with telekinesis. Like, she's smart, but the people don't respect her. Dude, that's... I mean... I, I, I want to know why she stopped calling herself Matilda, but, like, I, you're, you're definitely <laughs> onto something. Probably something to do with her mom going off the rails. Could be, I mean, her, for sure. her original parents, like, got caught by the mafia or something. They're in, like, like um, witness protection. Maybe that's why they Weird. had to change the names. Yeah! Aha! Uh-huh. Now we know. It's all in the same <laughs> universe. You heard it here. It's canon. Matilda grows up to kill all of her fellow classmates because she had her period in the locker room. Apparently moving to the like the neurotic lady's house wasn't the best idea. Just because you find you're covered in pig blood. Does Miss Honey start teaching gym class and she's like the one that encourages Carrie? Alright, so that was our show, guys. <laughs> so, what is our cheese ratings and our overall thoughts on Matilda? Andrew, I'm gonna let you go first. Um... Cheese. Oh, I'm trying to think of like a very British cheese, but I, I can't think of one because I'm terrible. Wesley Dale. There you go. Jess gave me one. Thank you. Uh, because it's very British and it's very cheesy. So that's why. And I liked it. So I recommend it highly. What about you, Brent? Well, so because I went to grad school for musical theater writing, I'm not actually legally allowed to given a plus to any musical ever um but it's very good um so because of that you know sharp cheddar is aged around 12 months extra sharp is aged for 18 months i don't think this show is extra sharp but it is sharp so i'm gonna say 12 months aged sharp cheddar Mm. poignant (laughs) thank you i'm doing my best And I'm um, going to give it cottage cheese because it works very well with fruit and is a very sweet tasting thing. And it's got little chunks of happiness inside of it. And you're very well off after you eat it. And for a while, people thought it was... What was that? I just want to know how Matilda the Musical works well with fruit. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at Bertie Car- Cavill and tell him okay. it doesn't work All right, well. <laughs> I, see, I see the road you're going down. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it should have gotten like a cheese and crackers since it's good for kids. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of Maybe. talk about a girl not having a penis in it, so. Well, I mean, That's kids true. need to learn this kind of thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, where, they, where else are they going to learn it than a Broadway show? <laughs> All right, so that was our show. Wow, that was a lot of fun. Brent, I'm sure you've got tons of things you want to promote. Lay them on us. Okay, um, well, I'll focus on the ones that are pertinent to this show. Um, I spent many years doing comedy songs about video games, so if you're into that and you want to see ep- examples of my music and lyrics, for better and for worse, that's Brental Floss, which is all one word like dental floss, but Brental Floss. On YouTube, keep in mind, I started doing it almost 11 years ago, so there's some stuff that doesn't age so well. I've I've changed. 
However, I'm currently writing this Star Trek musical based on the Wrath of Khan, and I have a semi-secret community on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, it's at U-A-S-T-P-M, and on Facebook, if you just search unauthorized Star Trek parody musical, you can't miss it. I think it's actually facebook.com slash Trek parody musical. Um, if you want to follow that, hear shit. new songs and yeah. So show up. This is like Love underground. We're getting the, the inside scoop here. Yeah, no, it's the ground floor. I don't want Paramount and CBS to find it yet, but I do want people that are into this stuff to be able to chime in and go, hey, that was good. Hey, change this. Hey, here's what I think. It's pretty fun. Excellent. All right, Andrew, <laughs> do you want to lead us out? Because I lead us in. Oh, good God. Do the well, final audible thing and I'll do the rest. Just do the final audible <laughs> thing and I'll do the rest. Oh, my goodness. All right. <clears throat> Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. That is the name of our show, so... <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Please download us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. We're all at Musicals with Cheese. Subscribe. Get us more views. Our Twitter is at Cheesy Musicals. Our Instagram is at Musicals with Cheese. Our YouTube page is at Musical Theater Lives. Pretty soon we're going to be doing another review raffle where we give a $25 Amazon gift card to any random person that has reviewed our podcast. So get your reviews in before it's too late. Our email is musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Shoot us an email if you want to ask us questions. Um, our title card was created by Jolene Casco. Her Instagram is at Jolene Casco. Um, anything else we want to say before we wrap on wrap up, gentlemen? It's been fun. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, till next time. Anytime you want to come on, you're always welcome, Brent. There's always a spot welcome for you here. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> I'm going to go watch La La Land again right after <laughs> this. It's going to be very fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening to Musicals with Cheese. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.